to From the Source. I'm Michelle Brenner and I'm your host. From the Source aims to answer the question of what tech jobs are really like, both the good and the boring. Today we're going to hear from Tanya Jenka. Tanya, can you tell us your current job title and how long you've been there? Um, My job title is Cloud Advocates and I've been there a year and a half. Um, There is Microsoft. It, it, it's an unusual cloud advocate is an unusual job. It's like it's part of developer relations um, with the idea that companies want to understand better what developers actually need and want rather than them creating lots of random features and hoping people like it. Instead, what if they got feedback directly from the source? And um, so that's my job. A lot of my job. What does an average day look like for you? So I, I do a lot of a few things. So one thing is, is that I do a lot of public speaking and I get a lot of feedback from customers and potential customers when I do that. I also write blog posts and other content. So white papers or um, instructional documents, I make videos, things like that. Um, and then again, I get a lot of feedback about that. I answer a ton of technical questions. People seem to think that I know all the security of every single Microsoft product. And I love that they think that I am that brilliant. <laughs> but that would be impossible to fit all in one brain. <laughs> so I, I tend to like go dig for things and help find things. And if we basically, if we can't figure out a way around it, it's like, well, maybe we need to change something. Um, and then I give a lot of feedback to the product teams. Like this is cool, but it costs 10 times more than anyone can afford or You know, you added these three new things and people are in love with two of them. And the other one, no one seems to care. So maybe make more of number one and number two, if you can. Things like that. Kind of trying to help the product teams understand what people really want and need. So you're like a facilitator between the users and the product team. Yeah, and more almost more like the community specifically, because we can hire people to come in and do beta testing. But this is more... Like, because I'm part of the community and I contribute back to the community regularly, people feel more open to share like, okay, so this thing happened with this product and this is making us crazy. And, you know, we're considering switching because of this or stuff like that. So people that maybe wouldn't come directly to the company might be more comfortable coming to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Because you're in a public facing role, is there ever an issue with not being able to turn it off and kind of people contacting you all hours of the day and night and you feeling like you have to be available? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Especially with time zones. Yeah, people people contact me all the time. I tell them that my inbox looks like as someone with a fire hose is aiming it at a small cup. <laughs> so yeah, I have a lot of trouble keeping up. I do my best. What has been your favorite long-term project? Uh, I started a blog. Um, this guy named Brooke on my team, Brooke Holland, he dared me to start a blog. And for whatever reason, I thought no one would read it. I'm not sure why I just assumed no one would be interested. Um, but I'm like, I'm just going to write out my thoughts on various technical things. And like, oh, this is how you do this. I learned this. I thought it was cool. Maybe you'll think it's cool. Um, and, and now people are following my blog and reading it like more than just me and my mom and my dad. <laughs> um, and it's just been so rewarding, like being able, um, you know, if, 
you know, there's like a technical thing that's been bothering me to dissect it really in depth and uh, add a million links and research and resources and stuff to it so that people can see why I think that way or how I did whatever thing I'm doing. Um, I found that really, really fun. I think it's an achievement if you can get your mom and dad to read your blog, because I'm pretty sure my parents are not listening to this podcast. (laughs) My mom and my grandma actually both asked me how to use Twitter and made Twitter accounts so they could follow me. And I thought it was so touching. And it's really cute because sometimes my mom will respond to things and then she'll sign her tweets with love, Tanya's mom. (laughs) It's like so wonderful. I was so flattered that she would follow me and make an account just for that. It's so sweet. That is amazing. I love it. What is the most boring but essential part of your job? Answering emails. (laughs) Answering so many messages. I feel like I can never get back to everyone. It's, I I find, um, I find it really hard to keep up, but because I want to answer so in depth. Like I just did a a talk last week with my friend, Terry Radickle, about how to do your own security assessment on the Azure platform. So like how you could do it yourself rather than hiring a professional. And um, that came from an email from someone like a a customer was just like, hey, like we want to do this. We don't know where to start. We can't afford a pen tester. I ended up spending like an hour and a half writing back to him this whole outline. And then I was like, oh, I guess I should submit this as a talk. (laughs) I made, you know, a blog post and I convinced Terry to come on my show. And then like she made it way better. And, you know, it kind of all grew from there. And so I want to spend like an hour and a half answering each email, but then I'll die. So (laughs) so I'll never sleep again. Um, So, yeah, it's essential, but it kills me. Do you have like a collection of blog posts you keep at the ready to respond if you get the same question over and over again? You'd be like, hey, just read this blog post. It has all the information you need. Yes. Yes. And they're always, how do I break into InfoSec or where do I get started in application security? So I have a blog post for each of those. And also, uh, I want to be a better presenter. How do I do that? So I wrote a blog post about that because I get asked those three things quite often. Is there other ways you use to prioritize when you're getting a flood of emails? Which ones you can you have to answer now? Which is which ones you can answer later? Ones from my boss are usually number one, <laughs> and then his boss, and then that guy's boss, also number ones. <laughs> um, teammates that need something from me. Um, so most. So uh, there's one other person that knows security uh, that's on my big wider team, but he does infrastructure. And so he handles mostly infrastructure related security questions. Uh, And if like, I know some infrastructure security, but compared to him, you know, he's really on it. So uh, he answers those ones, but then most of the people on my team are developers and developer advocates. So it's like, Oh, how do I like, make this serverless app secure. I'm like, we need a meeting. Let's have a meeting. (laughs) And then we talk about it and do threat modeling and stuff. It's, it's super fun because they all do different things. And then it's, I have to say, it's kind of like exercise for my brain. It's like, Ooh, I never thought of that. (laughs) So that's pretty fun. It sounds like you get to learn all the time based on people asking you questions. You're like, Oh, that's like an interesting topic I could jump on. 
Yeah, that's actually a big reason why I took the job because I really wanted to learn cloud. I wanted to learn more about infrastructure. So I already knew a lot about application security and I was a software developer forever, but I'm like, I want to know all the security. <laughs> and, um, so uh, they hired this this guy named Oren Thompson on my team. And it's awesome because every time I don't know the answer, I just ask him and he always knows. It's great. It sounds like you can outsource some of the emails you get to your team, which probably cuts down a little bit of what you're working on. Yeah, definitely. Although, I mean, they do the same to me. <laughs> so it's like, I, I might work out even in the end. <laughs> yeah, so may, maybe not. Maybe you're just all flooding each other's email boxes. <laughs> what is the most stressful part of your job and how do you manage it? I was going to say the emails, but that's not true. Um, uh, as I am having more followers. So one of the things about um, being a public figure is you get people that follow you. And um, and it turns out that uh, not all of them are nice. Um, so the most stressful thing for me is if that one in 5,000 people uh, writes me a really bad message or um, takes it upon themselves to try to like completely break down something that I've done. And I don't really understand their motivations, but I find it really stressful. Like someone recently um, sent a message to me, which I will not say what it said. Um, but then um, once I blocked that person proceeded to attack on social media, several people I care about. And then just like all the different phone calls I had to have with all the different people like apologizing. And obviously it's not my fault that this person targeted me and then, Oh, well she's blocked me. So I know what I'm going to do, you know? And um, that sucks. That sucks so much. <laughs> uh, and so that was super stressful. Um, and what I did to manage the stress is I wrote a thing on social media, like, how do you handle if someone sends you a really hurtful message? And 1,000 people responded. 1,000. That, I can't tell you, like, how much, obviously, better that made me feel. And just different ideas of how to deal with it. Other people telling me, like, I am a really sensitive person, too. I have too much empathy sometimes, too. Um you know, because the person who wrote me, I'm like, they probably have mental illness because of the level that this person went to. And it's such ridiculously abnormal behavior for a person I've never met. Right. And so then I have empathy for that person because probably they are hurting a lot. And it's just it's not something that I expected would come with the job of being a giant nerd that makes proofs of concepts and writes little tutorials. Right. Like I was like, oh, I'm important. What? <laughs> um, so. I managed to stress by reaching out to the community and also remembering like when people reach out like that, it's often, you know, it's their thing. It's not your thing. Like if it's a constructive thing, like, you know, Tanya, I didn't like how you said this thing, like that hurt me or that didn't seem appropriate. Like, absolutely. I want to listen to all the constructive criticism, but if someone has decided um, yeah, the, the accusations were pretty reflective of someone that's not, 100% on the same page as the rest of us. Um, so, uh, like, you know, remembering that there's all sorts of people out there. I do not have control over them. You can, like, does this person matter to you? Is this person important to you in your life? No. Well, then why are you making their words important to you? Right. And going from there. And so that has helped a lot. 
but that is the weirdest and most stressful part of my job. And I, I know others on my team have similar things that are way worse than anything I've had to suffer. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Since you do work for a big company and you're on a team of people that have can have the similar problem, is there anything you can do to protect each other or like policies that maybe Microsoft has to help with that? Um, if someone is particularly awful to one of us, uh, sometimes we all block the person, like 50 or 60 or 80 of us block them, which certainly sends a message that that was not acceptable. Like one of my coworkers uh, had someone comment very negatively about her personal appearance and just blanket all of us just blocked. Like if one of us goes and does a talk somewhere, it is not so that you can talk about our bodies. Like it was really gross. And so just all of us just blanket block. Um, and so then at least like that person has a much smaller audience. None of us, none of the rest of us are going to be hurt by that person's feelings uh, or have our feelings hurt by them, etc. cetera. Um, if, if it's like past a certain level, you can call the police or um, like we have lawyers, but generally um, like the person that recently I had the run in with, I reported it to Twitter and they're like, we don't see a problem. Like, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like, I guess it's to, unless like your safety is in question, it's apparently something you are just supposed to tolerate. It's an expectation of being a public figure on the internet, especially um, being female. Apparently that's just a thing. And the women I know of color, it's, it's way worse. And it's, yeah, it, it's just, it's not cool, but we have not figured out a way to solve this problem yet. It definitely seems like a systemic problem. Like it'd be very difficult for an individual to manage but at least you have your team and it sounds like reaching out to the community and working together has really helped you at least manage it, even if you can't prevent it. Yeah, absolutely. And also just finding out that it, I'm, I have like this mantra that, um, that has been since I was young. Um, uh, like someone in my class was mean to me <laughs> and um, I was at a bar later and uh, a friend in my class came up to me and he's like, Tanya, not everything's about you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, the world revolves around Tanya. He's like, you're not that important. You know, that student is mean to everyone. It's not you. It's that person. And like, don't think you're so special. <laughs> and so when something like this happens to me often, I'm like, I'm probably not the only person that this person has done this to. This person probably has like a lot of hate inside them. And I just got burned today, but two other people got burned tomorrow. And this isn't like specifically my fault or like I have this tendency to be like, Tanya, what did you do wrong that caused this? Right. And so then remember, like, Tanya, you are not the center of the universe. <laughs> you are not so like, you know what I mean? And it kind of helps me if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make sense where it's not personal to you. It's just someone attacking and you shouldn't take it to heart and think there's something wrong with you. It's just someone wants to spew this vitriol to someone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that definitely helps too. And usually I can be pretty good about, well, like, mm, um, you know, I'm going to mute that person. But yeah, all of it's a learning process. Leave it at that. Yeah, that sounds like a very different skill than 
software development. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> with software development, so awesome. I never had to talk to anyone. <laughs> I just sit at my desk. I used to tease them that if they put that I was a hamster just running on the wheel. And then if they put one of those like little water bottles that then I would never have to get up. <laughs> now I'm imagining a water bottle full of black tea at my desk. And that would exactly, I would just sit there. It just gave me never ending tea. I would never have to go anywhere. Right? And then I just like, tuck, 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 <laughs> Me and Stack Overflow till the end. <laughs> Speaking of skills, what skills do you find most essential on a day-to-day basis? Um, good writing skills, good listening skills. Definitely being able to communicate clearly a concept and understand when someone else is explaining a super complex concept to me. Um as an example, someone was asking me about Azure AD and he's like, oh, it doesn't log anything. And I was like, what? No, it does. And then it turned out there's like one specific um, thing that this person was looking for that it's not logging um, that I guess we didn't think was, you know, like, anyway, I'm not going to get into the, the nitty gritty of it, but it took me a while because at first he's like, it doesn't log. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, and I don't want to be like, you're wrong. Right. So then I go and I look and I'm like, well, it kind of looks according to all these official documents like it does. Like, what do you hope it will log that it's not logging? And then like we went from there and then like we have a coffee planned to like go really deep into it so I can understand like exactly the types of things that would be because he's like a big fan he's like a like a big microsoft fan and like he's totally into it and i'm like he probably knows azure ad way better than i do and so i'm like please enlighten me show me the way right and so he's gonna take time out of his day to tell me which is awesome um but like if i was like you're wrong then the conversation would have been over right so like listening first communication like clearly second and then like writing so that because usually um because my job's rather global it's I don't usually have like the luxury to actually spend time in person with most people like I'm just lucky that we're both happen to be going to the same event in a few weeks but so quite often it's like me typing out and you know when you type things out like there's no there's no tone of voice there's no body language to go with it right and I want to make sure that people feel heard, feel respected, all of those, like, and and that it comes across the way that I mean it to, as opposed to how it could come across, because I have definitely been burned uh, at this job with like, that came across pretty rude, Tanya. I'm like, oh, crap, I was in a hurry. And I didn't, that's not how I meant it. (laughs) Yeah, so um, tone's really important. So writing and listening communication. It sounds like part of it, too, is empathy with the people you're communicating with so that you know to ask questions and so you really understand what they're trying to say. Oh, good point. Yeah, definitely empathy is required too, because I guess if you're like, I don't care, (laughs) then it wouldn't go very well. Since you do have a global audience, is there anything you do to make sure your writing can be understood by people who have English as a second language? There's a couple things I do. So I have a video channel And um, for most of the episodes, we've paid to have them subtitled. Uh, So uh, I have some friends in Japan and they told me, no, you don't need to translate to Japanese. Like we can all 
mostly read and write English. It's just listening to you. It's, it's impossible. And I know I have a really strong Canadian accent. It's, it's funny because internationally people think it's an American accent, but in America, they're like, Oh my God, your Canadian accent is so strong. And now that I know what to look for, it's really strong. (laughs) Um, And sometimes um, if I'm speaking outside of North America and I know that English is their second language, I'll explain at the beginning certain things that I'll probably say or sounds I'll make and why and what it's supposed to mean. (laughs) And I make it like a fun, cute joke, but also I, I want them to know, I know I have an accent. I'm sorry. It's okay if you ask, right? Like I am not, my feelings are not going to be hurt. Like every person has an accent. If you're, if you're away from home, you're the one with the accent, right? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. So whenever possible, I add the possibility of captions or subtitles. And then especially to, if, if I'm in a country where English is not even one of the official languages, I make a definite point of speaking significantly more slowly and more clearly which is um, a thing I have to remind myself to do. But for instance, I I did two talks in Korea recently and English is not one of the primary languages there, right? So all the people that came, it's probably their second or third or even fourth language. So my 60 minute talk, I ended up shortening it. So I only did around two thirds of the content and I finished in time because I wanted to make sure that people could understand and that it wasn't painful for them. And then we also had captioning, like an automatic electronic digital captioning. So it's not perfect, but it was live captioning along the top of the screen uh, in efforts to try to be more accessible. Um, One of my uncles is deaf, so I'm pretty sensitive to everyone and my mom's hard of hearing. So like, I really wanna make sure everyone has an equal chance Right. So I try really hard to make sure that they do. And I listen to feedback if people tell me I could do more. That's great. It sounds like the ways you're being accessible can help a wide range of people, not just people who have English as a second language, but uh, anyone who might be hard of hearing or anything like that. Yeah, for um, our videos with the OWASP DevSlop team, we made the captions and then we opened it to the community. And so a lot of the community members have translated, like uh, translated episodes that matter to them. For So if there's a specific one that they really like, they went through and added captions and then we've put them into the official project onto our YouTube channel so that everyone can benefit from them. And that's been like, amazing that the community would do that for us like many many episodes have been translated into one or more languages which is incredible well that's really cool and a great like knowing that your community is engaged and really wants more people to have that technical content the OWASP community is like so I'm kind of I joke that I have a love affair with OWASP but they're just so wonderful like they're just they're so great Like I've never felt like when I started information security and I joined OWASP, it was like immediately I joined this community that really, really, really wanted me there and made me feel like, like I was important and welcome. And like, I wasn't really doing anything at first. Right. Like (laughs) before I knew it, like it just opened so many doors to me for me. And like, I met so many amazing human beings and, they did so many things to try to enable me to like to learn and to share. And 
I, I'm not used to this, if that makes sense. Like I, I used to be a professional musician and you better believe it. It's really competitive and cutthroat. And it, and then I joined security and people are like, oh my gosh, we're so happy you're here. I'm like what's happening? <laughs> Do you want to tell our audience a little more about those specific groups that you're a part of and how they can be a part of it? Yes. Oh my gosh. Good idea, Michelle. Okay. So <laughs> OWASP is the Open Web Application Security Project. It is a collective of, I would guess, 200 to 300,000 people are like loosely involved. Um, you can pay to be a member, but that just means you're giving a donation to the foundation because you care. It, you don't really need to be a member for any reason. Um, so there's different chapters all over the world. And um, I've been part of the Ottawa chapter where I live for years and years now. And we have monthly meetups where we get together and um, we have talks and discussions and capture the flag contests and networking and social time. And it's kind of like a party and all my friends are there. Um, and then so we do that all over the world. I think we have 270 chapters or something. And then we also have projects. I'm also in a project. And each project does a different thing. So some of them make tools, some of them do documentation, like they've released several free books. Um, my project is um, a, a bunch of us who, you know, Nicole created this super cool uh, vulnerable app. And then uh, Francisca and I created a bunch of pipelines, like security pipelines. And then um, Nancy's been, and I have been like working on this like streaming show where we show you how to use all the things and like, just try to like learn and then we drag the audience on our, our voyage together. So whatever you want to do, OWASP probably wants it as long as it's, you know, trying to make things more secure. Um, and then there's also the foundation and the foundation supports all the chapters and projects and they hold, um, they hold these giant conferences. And I know that every other conference will be upset when I say it, but they're my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> AppSec conferences are like the Care Bears of security. They're just, it's like, there's not going to be a crazy party. There's not going to be some wild time. You're just going to go and then every single talk is going to be making you better at what you do. And then just, it's just, I don't know, it's very professional and vanilla and not like a crazy hacker conference or anything. And um, I just, I, I, I go to almost all of them if I can. Um, I'm a big fan. And so that's what OWASP does. And to join, just look up in your city, go to Meetup and see if they're there or just go to an online search engine of your choice and, and just look for OWASP and then the name of your city because we have so many chapters. And if you don't have a chapter, you can just start one. Um, I've helped a bunch of cities start one and it's not that hard and it won't cost you anything. And then also I'm a part of something called WOSEC women of security. We just turned one years old. <laughs> um, and basically, we are an international uh, community of women for women in security or who want to join security. Um, and we have meetups all around the world at this point, I guess. Um, we're on a few different continents. I think we have 18 chapters now in one year, which is wild. Um, and so we do three things. Um, so we're not like a lot of the other women's meetups. Um, we're not going to teach soft skills generally or um, 
how to speak powerfully when speaking to men. We, we feel, no, but we feel those things are covered. Like other women's groups are kicking butt at those things. And so what we do is we crash boy meetups. So if I want to go to the Python meetup and I know it's going to be a hundred men and me, that might make me really nervous. It does. Um, and so I'll make a meetup with Wosek to go to the Python meetup. And then a bunch of other women will join me. So I'm not the only one there. And so we've crashed, we crashed the RSA conference this year. We crashed Microsoft Build. We crashed B-Sides Ottawa. Um, and the idea is, is that then you have, like you show up with this group of like friends, right? Um, and then another thing that we do is um, we brunch and bitch. It's like a stitch and bitch, but with food. And so it's like a social gathering where we just get to meet each other and hopefully you make new friends. Because um, there's like a big problem with women in STEM. And by that, I mean like science, technology, engineering. They, like they keep leaving. Um, and if you have friends, you're a lot more likely to stay. Um, I, I have met so many amazing friends from WOSAC. It's like it started as like kind of this selfish thing where I asked my friend Donna if she wanted to do it. And I was like, what if no one comes? She's like, well, then you and I will just have brunch, the two of us. And lo and behold, 20 women showed up the first month. And we have like this gaggle of girls, women, every month that show up. And now some of them have started a business together. Um, lots of them are friends. We've, I don't know, like just like so many nice things that they're doing for each other. Like one of the women did her first talk ever. So we all surprised her and showed up and cheered for her in the front row and just like nice things like that, um, have come out of it. And then the third thing that we do is we do technical like workshops or talks that are in a safe space. That's just for women. I find that women speak up a lot less if there's men in the room. Um, I know that a lot of people will argue that we shouldn't segregate. However, we had a cloud, like I gave a cloud security workshop and I've given it all over Ottawa, but I, I gave it for one, just for WOSAC, just for women. And, you know, 20 women showed up and oh, everyone was talking, asking a million questions or giggling and laughing is super great. And then a, a man walked in who, by accident, he hadn't realized it was for women only. And he went in and he sat at the back and all the women were silenced. All of them were so quiet and uncomfortable he was there. And after 20 minutes, he, he looks up from his computer and looks all around. And then I see him checking his phone and then he figured it out. And then he stood up and he's like, oh, hi, thanks. This has been great. Um, I really have to go. Uh, I'm sorry. And he sent a letter after to apologize. And he was super embarrassed. I'm like, it, it's okay, right? Um, but then as soon as he left, all the women were super loud and smiling and laughing and giggling again. And it's like, yeah, so it is it is a different atmosphere when it's just women. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we do those as well. Um, and so we do those three things and basically all women are welcome. There's no membership fees or anything. You just like show up and hang out and it's cool. I just want to make more friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the advice I give people when networking. I'm like, they're like, how do you network? I'm like, well, just make friends and just see what happens. And you never know which of these friends that can you can help them or they can help you later. And that's a really great way I've been trying to build my own network. Yeah, actually, now that I think of it, a lot of us have referred other ones for jobs or made like key introductions and stuff. That's a really good point. Yeah. So also networking. 
I love how actionable all of those uh, groups are. It sounds like you're really on top of making sure you're not just meeting and hanging out, but everyone is getting something really positive and really actionable about all those events. Yeah, that's that's what I want to do. I, I'm actually running like this online thing that also might be of interest. It's um, I'm running like this hashtag on Mondays, and it's Mentoring Monday, and basically. Um, People tweet the hashtag Mentoring Monday, and then either they offer or they look for a mentor. And I've been telling people, so if you are listening, if you've worked in security or whatever it is that you do for two years or more, you officially know enough to mentor a junior person, right? And I mentor lots of people, and I am so lucky to have had several like amazing out-of-this-world mentors in my career. And a mentor pushes you to that next level, right? And and shows you the way and introduces you to things that you otherwise might not have seen. And so I encourage everyone who's listening to participate in Mentoring Monday. You can just search the hashtag and respond to people. Even just telling someone like, you know, I'm an expert in Python and like, you know, the book you should read first is this. Or like, here's some podcasts I suggest you listen to, like anything that you can do to help. But several people have been pairing off and becoming like forming long term mentoring relationships, which is super beautiful. It's amazing. I I cannot stress enough how great my mentors have been and how much I've been enjoying mentoring people over the last year, both one on one and, you know, kind of through this podcast. But you never one thing I don't think people realize when they get to be a mentor, they kind of get to feel like a genius. Like I think all day developing, you start to feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing because you're constantly looking things up. And then you talk to someone who has a little less experience than you and you give them some information they didn't have. And just like, oh, I do know things. And then it brings me like that boost of confidence that kind of helps me through the day. Well, and you get to see them blossom. And it's just, it's so amazing. Like almost all the women I've been mentoring have started public speaking in the past year or two after a few years of like working up to it. And one of them, she's spoken at a whole bunch of conferences all over Europe now. And she's the most introverted, shy individual. And I'm just like so proud. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, you're amazing. And now you're letting other people see how amazing you are. Right. And it it's so it feels so good to like help someone else and then see how happy and successful they are because you help them. Absolutely. It can be very frustrating sometimes when you think about like the state of tech. But every time you help someone, it kind of makes things a little better and a little brighter and then they help people. So it all ripples out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, boy, we're good at talking. I always go over time. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. We didn't. I, I, I did a whole. I booked a whole hour. If, I, if I was a bash script, I would be verbose. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wanted your job, what's a good path to take? Oh, that's such an excellent question. Mm, I got my job sort of by accident, so I had started contributing to the community quite a bit. Um, and I was running the local OWASP chapter and I'd started an OWASP project and I had been speaking um, actually like all over Europe and North America. And so I was already kind of doing the job for free. 
and and I was already doing interviews and uh, not writing my own blog post, but writing third party articles like for um, like syndications, I guess. And then Microsoft approached me and they're like, we heard we need to talk to you. And they're like, you know, we have this this developer advocate role. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm a security nerd. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, And so then the manager called me and was explaining. I'm like, that's not a job. That's my hobby. And he's like, well, I'm telling you we would pay you to do it. I'm like, are you messing with me? (laughs) And and then once he like assured me for sure, he was not just fooling. Um, then they brought me to Seattle and then I met a whole bunch of the people and then they were super smart because they got a bunch of people that I'd really admire to interview me. I'm like, Oh, well now, now I have to work here. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, but if you like, besides like getting involved and contributing and helping, I mean, you can apply for those jobs. So all the cloud providers, I believe have those jobs. A lot of the, um, for, so I'm a security person, so I'm going to talk about security space, but I, I know that a whole bunch of different companies uh, have approached me, like, how can we find someone to advocate for this or that? And I'm like, yo, do your own recruiting. <laughs> um, because I think people don't know that that's a job that they can apply for. But the the key thing is just, um, is that you have a very, like, that, that you help do you know what I mean? Like, it can't be that you're trying to get really famous because that comes off that way. Like, people can really see through those things. Um, so if you have a community and you serve your community and take care of your community a lot, then that's your example of how you can work for them on behalf of your community, right? But if you don't have a community, then that's pretty hard to sell. That makes sense. Are there Skills you can do on your job that can help with that, like mentoring junior engineers or writing documentation at work and that sort of thing when you're an engineer that can help you prepare for maybe a job as an advocate. Definitely the things you said. Also, um, I guess I got started because uh, so I launched my first application security program at work. And I wanted everyone to start using this tool called OWASP Zap. So I wanted all the developers to zap their code. And so I made a presentation and I did a demo and then I taught everyone how to use it. Um, And so I gave the presentation over and over and over. And then someone said, you should do it at a meetup. And then I did it at a conference, et cetera. Um, And by learn, so my first presentation was awful. I was so scared. Oh my gosh, (laughs) it was very bad. So getting comfortable being in front of an audience, getting experience of making sure that the audience actually learns the things you're trying to teach them and hopefully enjoys themselves. Like that is a skill that takes a long time to hone. Writing skills, communication skills, right? So um, you can create a community where you work. Like before I was doing things um, with OWASP, I was actually doing things within the Canadian government where I worked and I had a lunch and learn program where I was the host and I had like over 30 different people come into my office and make presentations and teach all of us. And so the monthly lunch and learn became this thing that everyone was looking forward to. And 
like you can create community wherever you are if you want to. Like I have community on my street. We're all friends and we have a party every six months and one of the neighbors opens their house to everyone. And like you have the opportunity to create community if you, you just have to do the work. So what's your next step? Where do you see yourself growing to in your career? So I have a lot of nerdy goals. So Microsoft just released their first blockchain and I'm like, oh my God, blockchain. (laughs) um, I would like to uh, know that. And then of course, I want to make a blockchain and I want to name it Betty, Betty the buggy blockchain. And then I want to smash it because that's how I am. (laughs) Uh, I want to, um, I'm working... No, I'm going to keep that that goal private, actually. Um, I'm, I'm doing a thing on my own that I will tell everyone when it's ready. Um, and then um, I, yeah, I guess I just kind of want to keep learning. Like, I don't feel like I'm a complete expert at all the security areas of Azure yet. I like to kind of master things and then move on to another thing and master that, if that makes sense. And for me, like, for instance, with blockchain, like building my own blockchain and then hacking my blockchain and then making a workshop out of that for me that's like kind of conquering that topic it's kind of how I roll um I would like to speak at more places I hope more people read my blog (laughs) those are such vague goals but anyway I think that they're noble goals so it sounds like your process for learning new things is to do a project get really good at it and then teach other people yeah definitely Oh my gosh. Whenever they ask a question, I don't know the answer. I'm like, well, I'm going to go learn a new thing today. It's great. That's the, that's the joys of working in technology. I love it. Mm-hmm. So if our listeners want to reach out to you via social media, how can they reach you? I have a Twitter account. She hacks purple. Um, I am on LinkedIn, but I'm not allowed accepting new connections. So I apologize in advance, but you can follow me. Um, I, also have a YouTube page, which is GX Purple. Um, and one day I hope to have a website. <laughs> I, have, I have a blog. I, I have two blogs and one is on dev.to, which is GX Purple. And then one is on Medium and it's at GX Purple. And yeah, basically just like look up GX Purple and then that will be me. <laughs> Maybe one of our listeners or your mentees who want to learn more about making websites, can make your website for you. No, 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 I I, I just have to have the time to do it. Like I started it and then, and then work and then emails and then I, I stopped. Yeah, no, I mean, you can't do everything. I feel like that's what I've learned is that I just start saying no to things and getting other people to do things. I need to learn that skill. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. To keep up to date on upcoming episodes or to continue the conversation, please follow us on Twitter at FromSourcePod. If you'd like to share your journey with our audience or have any questions about the podcast, please email me at FromTheSourcePod at gmail.com.